Welcome to The Markets. Along with Max Armstrong, I'm Orion Samuelson, Dateline, Scottsdale, Arizona, Friday, November 8. Another outstanding week in the marketplace because just about every morning when we signed down with our first report, we talked about setting a new record on Wall Street and we certainly saw the records come this week. But now let's take a look at the closing day of the week. The three major stock indices posted record closing highs, and the S&P 500 registered a fifth straight week of gains today as investors brushed aside worries over the progress of U.S.-China trade talks and as shares of Walt Disney moved higher. Doubts about trade progress resurfaced earlier in the day, when President Trump, in remarks to reporters at the White House, said he has not agreed to a rollback of U.S. tariffs sought by China. Thursday, officials from both countries said the U.S. and China had agreed to such a deal. The feeling now, according to one analyst, is that before the end of the year, we're going to see some type of deal, even if it's a partial one. And the worry factor, the CBOE Volatility Index, VIX, posted the lowest closing level since July 24th. So for the day, the Dow Industrial Average, up 6.5 points, ended the day in the week at 27,681. The S&P 500 gained 8 points to end the week at 3,093. And the NASDAQ uh, added 41 points today to end the week at 8475.31. And for the week, the S&P 500 rose eight-tenths of a percent, posting a fifth straight week of gains, while the NASDAQ gained a little over 1%. And that closed out its sixth straight week of gains, And the Dow for the week was up 1.2%. Increasing optimism on the trade front and mostly better-than-expected earnings have driven the recent record run in the stock market. Of the 446 S&P 500 companies that have reported results so far, roughly three-quarters have beaten profit estimates. Technology shares also supported the market, including Microsoft, which rose 1.2%. Among decliners today, though, shares of Gap fell 7% after the apparel retailer said Chief Executive Officer Art Peck would leave the company, a surprise exit in the middle of a restructuring. But Gap also slashed its full-year earnings forecast in today's trade. Volume on U.S. exchanges, 6.59 billion shares, down slightly from the 6.79 billion share average that we've seen for the full session over the last 20 trading days. Price of oil today, uh, keep an eye on that always because oil prices edged higher after falling more than 1% during the day following those trade comments from President Trump. Brent crude futures rose 22 cents to settle for the day and the week at $62.51 a barrel. 
while U.S. crude up just nine cents to settle at $57.24 a barrel. Brent posted a weekly increase of one and a third percent, while U.S. crude gained nearly two percent. We did see a slowdown in activity as far as drilling is concerned. U.S. energy firms this week reduced the number of rigs operating for a third week in a row. Drillers cut seven rigs in the week to November 8th, bringing the total count down to 684. That would be the lowest since April of 2017. Now that we've looked at history, let's look at what is ahead next week. Federal Reserve Chair Jerome Powell will testify on the economic outlook before the Congressional Joint Economic Committee on Wednesday. On Thursday, he will also testify on the same before the House Budget Committee. And separately, President Trump scheduled to speak on trade and economic policy at the Economic Club of New York. On the U.S. economic calendar, the Labor Department scheduled to report inflation data for October. That report due on Wednesday. Thursday, the Labor Department expected to report producer prices probably went up three-tenths of a percent in October compared to a three-tenths of a percent decline in September. And on the same day, data from the department will also show, they think, initial claims for state unemployment benefits to have likely risen to 215000 for the week ending November 9. Also next week, Walt Disney Company is set to launch its streaming service Disney Plus on Tuesday in the United States, in Canada, and in the Netherlands. So looking at some of the earnings reports, Walmart expected to post an increase in third quarter revenue on Thursday, boosted by strength in the world's largest retailers, e-commerce, and grocery business, and investors will be watching out for comments on traffic trends and the outlook for the all-important holiday season. Cisco Systems expected to post a marginal increase in first quarter revenue on Wednesday. NVIDIA Corporation expected to report on Thursday a drop in third quarter revenue. And on Thursday, Applied Materials expected to post a decline in fourth quarter revenue as the chip gear maker earlier cautioned that recovery in the memory chip market is unlikely before 2020. Media company CBS Corporation expected to report Tuesday an increase in third quarter revenue. The embattled retailer J.C. Penney Company expected to report another quarter of losses and falling sales when it reports its third quarter results on Thursday rather on Friday. They've been hurt by competition that have remodeled stores and improved merchandise to cater to today's shopper. Uh, J.C. Penney, under CEO Jill Soltow, is trying to bring back its shoppers with new store formats that include instructor-led fitness classes and lifestyle workshops. 
D.R. Horton, the home, home builder, expected to post an increase in fourth quarter revenue and profit on Tuesday as the U.S. home builder benefits from higher home sales and from lower interest rates. And investors will look for comments around demand and updates for the housing industry on the company's financial forecast. And as usual, the Federal Reserve Regional Governors on a hectic travel speaking schedule don't have time to go through all of those activities, but they will, I think, all be on the road or in the air next week and uh, making speeches and uh, appearing on panels to, to take a look at the economy and what's happening there. Then as we take a look at some of the other interesting stories this week, this one was headlined, uh, it's a nice job if you can get it. And that was referring to the compensation for members of S&P 500 company board of directors. And yes, indeed, it is a nice job if you can get it. The average annual compensation for non-executive directors at S&P 500 companies rose 2% to 304,856 dollars last year and that topped 300,000 dollars for the first time around uh, and 45 uh, 43% higher than it was 10 years ago. But uh, thanks largely to stock grants, some earned a lot more than that salary. Directors at biotechnology company Regeneron Pharmaceuticals received an average of $1.2 million in compensation last year. And that figure does not include the more than $6 million received by Regeneron's independent chairman. And the non-executive directors of Wall Street powerhouse Goldman Sachs made $599,279 on average in 2018. That's the highest for any financial company. But while the wages are going up for this kind of a position, they're doing less meetings to uh, earn that pay. S&P 500 boards met on average just 7.9 times in person or via telephone in 2018. That's down from nine a decade ago, according to the uh, executive search company, uh, Stuart Spencer, or Spencer Stewart, I should say. Wholesale inventories fell more than initially estimated. Weekly jobless claims fell more than expected last week, according to the Labor Department. And uh, an interesting move on the part of the ride-hailing company Lyft. Lyft on Thursday said it was rolling out an offer to users in Los Angeles, San Francisco, and Chicago to sell their cars in exchange for credit on the ride-hailing platform. And those who sell their vehicle through Carvana 
That's an online used car retailer would receive $250 in Lyft credit and three months of free membership in Lyft subscription service, Pink. An interesting move by the ride-hailing company. Well, that kind of leaks a look at the Wall Street story. Let's take a look at the agriculture story, and we'll do that with Max Armstrong and his market guest when we continue on the markets. Your best defense against breast cancer is a mammogram. I'm Dr. Sandy Goldberg, a breast cancer survivor and founder of a Silver Lining Foundation. And early detection saved my life. Are you uninsured? Are you underinsured? Are you a survivor and need follow-up testing? Feel like you have nowhere to turn? Times are tough, but getting a mammogram shouldn't be. Call us at 312-345-1322. A Silver Lining Foundation Foundation is here to help. Dennis Smith is back with us from Archer Financial Services, always giving us a good assessment of the livestock and uh, meat situation. First of all, let me ask you about exports. We had some numbers recently on the level of exports. They weren't quite as exciting as I guess some of us had hoped to see. No, pork exports were up, and it was a good number, but year-to-date exports, I guess I should say, if you believe the number, were up only 5%. We've really been expecting something much more dramatic than that. The problem was we got off to such a slow start. Exports in the first half of the year were actually lower than a year ago due to all the situations and policies in place, but we are getting some real traction now, and uh, we're not even sure, Max, that uh, everything is being counted properly, and that's a sort of a political football, so to speak. But exports are on the rise in pork, and that I think that is a no-doubter. I heard a comment recently from an analyst who said he thought that the exports were not being reported in a timely manner, and then that as a result, it was hurting producers. I know that didn't come out of your shop. I heard it from somebody else, but I just wondered what you thought about that. I think it's an accurate statement. There is a lot of confusion right now, and it seems to be dealing with the split carcasses being processed and for shipment to China primarily by Smithfield right now, but the other packers will soon be involved, JBS, Tyson, as they've uh, gone to a paline-free processing unit. It seems like we're not getting accurate data on these split carcasses going to China, and it's just that simple. And, of course, the producer might immediately react and say, wait a minute, is this packer hocus-pocus going on here that's that's uh, that's hurting the folks out on the farm? Yeah, it's frustrating, Max, because we've got a lot of uh, uh, independent producers that are still losing money right now and are not doing well. They're certainly not enjoying a, a big uh, profitable tide. Uh, that like we expected a year ago when this African swine fever story first broke. So the whole thing has been much slower to develop from a U.S. standpoint. Our competitors are doing very well. I was going to ask you about that. That's the thing, I guess, that has concerned me most about the trade war. When people ask me about it, I just worry about the long-term damage and the benefit that is being passed along to some of our competitors, such as Brazil. 
You know, they uh, and, and I was thinking in terms of soybeans, but that would be applicable also in meats, would it not? It's definitely will apply both to the grains and the meats. And, and Brazil is capitalizing on, on a lot of pork trade with China. The European Union is seeing sky-high pork prices, and they are enjoying a very good profits right now as they've captured about 60 percent, actually more than 60 percent of the new Chinese import uh, pork business. So uh, our competitors are definitely at the advantage right now as we have a 50 percent tariff. Uh, there is a Chinese uh, 50% tariff on U.S. pork. 50% remains in place then. I, I couldn't recall where it was, you know, all of the back and forth and all of the tweets and everything about the trade discussions. I did not recall how much of a tariff is there. That's uh, not insignificant, is it? It's very significant. The retaliatory tariff is 50%. There's a 12% tariff that's always been in place. So the total tariff is 72% uh, that we are at a disadvantage uh, to our competitors, uh, European pork, Canadian pork, and, and Brazilian pork. There is that big hole, though, true, in terms of pork supplies in China. I mean, they, they need it. They're getting it uh, from other countries, but they still have a huge need. This situation is now finally beginning to show itself. China is opening their doors to any type of protein that is available. They're in the process of uh, uh, reducing the ban on U.S. poultry. Uh, that that has been in place since uh, 2015. They're, they're opening doors to Brazilian pork, uh, Brazilian beef. Uh, they've just resumed shipments from Canada, importing Canadian pork and canola. Uh, any type of protein and Chinese are buying. Uh, beef is going from New Zealand to, to China in, in quantities never experienced. Australia is shipping more beef to China. Brazil is shipping more beef to China. So they are looking for protein, and they are buyers. The thought was that maybe the that need that they had for pork would help bring about the end of the trade war, or at least uh, help move us along a little more quickly. Do you think it still could happen? Yeah, it, it will happen and in some phase or in some form. Uh, they do uh, desperately need uh, U.S. pork to help them out of the current situation that they're in. And uh, exactly how it transpires and when that tariff is reduced it is obviously a political football, but it will happen, and maybe it'll happen sooner rather than later. Meanwhile, our producers have been producing too much, right? I mean, the pork is exceeding the demand. Yeah, it's a, that's another uh, point of frustration is the U.S. Uh, industry continues to expand, and it's probably in its uh, fourth, approaching the fifth year now of expansion and record large production going on for probably now about the fourth year consecutively. Uh, we are overproducing and we have excessive supplies right now and exports is the only answer uh, that we can get up out of this. So someone might ask, are producers able to make money? If they're continuing to expand, one would think that there's some incentive there for them. Are they making money at these price levels, Dennis? Well, Max, that does that is not clear. It, there's a economic theory would say that you should not be expanding because we just don't think the profits have been there. 
but yet the expansion continues. So it's a little bit confusing right now exactly why expansion is continuing because, quite frankly, the, the profit levels just have not been there over the last couple of years. How about the meat packers? They're doing okay, aren't they? The profit is there for them, is it not? Life is good for a packer right now. It's not always been that way, but the packers, we believe, uh, are making uh, high profit margins. And in fact, these are estimates, Max. We also believe that the margins are probably much better than, than what we realize. We don't know the price of the meat when it's sold to China, shipped to China. And I've heard some pretty fantastic price levels. Just to shift gears a little bit, I was with the Angus folks at their convention in Reno last weekend. Pretty upbeat bunch, but, uh, you know, you hear a lot of talk about cow-calf folks struggling right now in the beef sector. Is that still a trouble spot? That is still a trouble spot, and, and the the average age it continues to get uh, older and older, and you might see so, some people leaving that business. Cow slaughter's taken a jump here recently, uh, and that's a, a possible concern. So some drought in the southeast, also a concern for cow liquidation, but uh, beef demand domestically has been outstanding, and that has really helped the beef market stage an impressive recovery. About a two-month rally has occurred from the lows in early September. Well, talk about this November situation. We get into the early days of November every year, and we start to see the featuring of turkey, of course. Some years you drive by the grocery store, they darn near throw one in the back seat for you. What's the situation this year? They, they use them as a loss leader many years, right? Yeah, and I think that's probably will be the case again this year, as they are aggressively featured. Uh, beef will move toward the back, as well as a lot of pork items, with the exception maybe of hams. But... This has been such an unusual year, Max. I'm not sure that predicting the normal is ever going to, to be the right thing to do. So we'll see how it all works out. But uh, overall, uh, demand has been good for the meat products with unemployment as low as it is. Uh, I don't think demand's ever been better for beef. And, and, I, and I think beef or pork demand has also been very well domestically. The comment was made at the Angus Convention last week that the per capita consumption of the red meats and poultry in 2020 will probably be the best it's been in 20 years. Is that accurate? That is an accurate statement, but the per capita uh, consumption is also a supply stat. In other words, you're, you're looking at total production, imports, you add in imports, and then you take away exports, and what's left is is then divided by the population, and that's your per capita consumption. Simply because that meat is here and it, it will be consumed, uh, it basically demonstrates we we are at record large production in beef, pork, and poultry. Always good to talk to you. Thank you. We appreciate your visits, Dennis. Have a nice Thanksgiving season. Thank you, Max. Dennis Smith with Archer Financial Services. We ended the week today with the U.S. Department of Agriculture reporting some new crop production numbers, and they're worth looking at. Corn production for grain forecast in today's report at 13,700,000,000 bushels, that would be down 1% from the previous forecast, and it would be down 5% from last year. Based on conditions of November 1, yields are expected to average 167 bushels per acre. That's down 1.4 bushels per acre from the previous forecast, 
It's down 9.4 bushels per acre from 2018. And the area harvested for grain forecasted 81.8 million acres. That's uh, up slightly from 2018. So let's look at soybeans. Soybean production forecast in today's report at 3,550,000,000 bushels. That's down slightly from the previous forecast and down 20% from last year. Based on conditions as of November 1, yields are expected to average 46.9 bushels per acre. That's unchanged from the previous forecast but it's down 3.7 bushels from 2018. And the area harvested for soybeans in the United States forecast at 75.6 million acres unchanged from the previous forecast, but it's down 14% from 2018. So I guess the unusually wet spring and the planting delays are beginning to show up a little bit more in the numbers as we get through the harvest season. Oh, and then let's look at cotton production. All cotton production forecast at 20.8 million 480 pound bales. That's down 4% from the previous forecast, but it's up 13% from 2018. And based on conditions as of November 1st, Cotton yields are expected to average 799 pounds per harvested acre. That would be down 34 pounds from the previous forecast, and it would be down 65 pounds from 2018. So that special survey that USDA was taking begins to show up in some of the numbers that we're looking at in crop production this year and what we'll finally be taking to the bank in the way of the production numbers. The uh, Department of Agriculture, uh, Secretary of Agriculture's Sonny Perdue said the second tranche of the uh, farm payments to uh, make up for some of the loss in agriculture by the U.S.-China trade war They hope to have the second payment due out by the end of November and if not by early next year, all right, next month, December. So hopefully that second payment round will be coming in uh, time for the end of the year, figuring by all of the people who are producing these crops here in the United States that were impacted by the China-U.S. trade war. So let's take a look at where we ended the week today on the uh, marketplace. Let's look at livestock first of all. Live cattle futures grew stronger today, supported by strong cash feedlot cattle and beef prices and strong packer profit margins. The market posted a modest decline for the week after eight straight weeks of gains, but prices are near six-month highs reached after the two-month rally took futures up by around 25%. Rich Nelson, who is the chief strategist with Allendale, said, everything is still firing on all cylinders. We have higher cash cattle trades this week, New highs for the uptrend for February and April contracts 
and wholesale beef continues to rally. And Rich said on top of that, Packers still have strong margins, so everything out there is suggesting we have a strong rally going on in cattle. In hogs, maybe a little different picture. However, the uh, contracts were mixed as the market continued to weigh prospects for large U.S. pork sales to China against ample supplies of hogs here in the United States. But China needs pork imports because African swine fever has decimated the hog herd. But on the other hand, retaliatory tariffs on U.S. pork have importers paying duties of up to 72% on the pork imports from the United States. Looking at the uh, closing prices today at the Mercantile Exchange, we find the February lean hog contract up just seven cents for the day at $73.90 a hundredweight. December cattle futures up 30 cents at $119.30. And November feeder cattle prices up 47 cents for the day. And uh, that means we ended the week at $147 per hundredweight. The uh, grain prices as we ended the week saw the uh, a fair amount of bread on the market screen. The uh, December wheat contract at five ten and a quarter, down two and three quarter cents. November soybeans down six and a quarter at nine nineteen and a half, and the December corn contract ended the week at uh, three dollars seventy seven and a quarter cents, and that's up one and a quarter cents per bushel in the trade today. So. That's what happened as far as the markets are concerned. And then one other story. Will it never end? Lawsuit filed against Ben and Jerry's that was filed by an environmentalist and Ben and Jerry's being sued by touting that the milk and cream it uses to make ice cream came exclusively from, quote, happy cows. That's upset an environmentalist, and so he's filing suit saying false advertising. Will it ever end? That's our time. Thank you for joining us every week for this look at the market story. Along with Max Armstrong, I'm Orion Samuelson on the markets.